Welcome to Chit Chatter with Rhea, the podcast that provides information to you about the legal and political process. Now here's your host, Rhea Chattergoon. Welcome back to Chit Chatter. Well, it's been a week. The energy's been high, low, somewhere in between. Everyone's kind of on edge because of these midterm elections. Uh, We had a storm coming through Florida this week, so that didn't help. Um, I saw and reposted one meme that said, I'm just a girl standing in front of a ballot box asking for the government to please, for the love of God, not get any worse. And that pretty much summed up how I felt and how a lot of my friends felt, at least my female friends. Uh, My election day didn't go how I planned. I usually try to serve as a poll watcher on election day. Uh, but I actually had a court hearing this on, on, on Tuesday and then an emergency for a client that I had to deal with. And so at the last minute, I ended up volunteering to do some campaigning in uh, Wilton Manors for our friend and our first guest, Tanya Williams. Um, yes, I was one of those annoying people handing you the flyer as you walked in to vote. Uh, but it was a good experience. I actually met a lot of people from all walks of life and Some were really nice and had legitimate questions. And, you know, it was kind of fun to just talk to people. Tanya did not win her race. Um, Unfortunately, her opponent, Gary Farmer, who was a former state senator, um, he won. He won on Tuesday. But, you know, we, we send our love to Tanya and her fight is not over. I expect another run for a judge because, honestly, it's a position she's meant to have. So let's chit-chat a little bit about what we saw happen on Tuesday. So at the time of this recording, uh, on a federal level, control of the Senate is going to come down to whoever wins two of the three outstanding toss-up races. That's Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Arizona looks like it will go to Mark Kelly, but Nevada and Georgia are in a toss-up. I don't even understand how Georgia is in a toss-up because how is anyone in their right mind voting for Herschel Walker? I mean, how? Can we just stress that enough? How? But, you know, that's a perfect example of when I say there really isn't any critical thinking behind voting, right? It comes down to the narrative each party's selling and how it's marketed to the masses. And I got to tell you, the GOP is great at it. They're great at the marketing and they're great at selling these fallacies, I, I will say, uh, to the masses and to their to their um, to the people in their party. So the House of Representative uh, race, as of this recording, is still up in the air. Um, though it seems like the GOP may have a small majority, uh, there are at least at this point thirty-three races waiting to be called, which isn't u- unusual, by the way. I know the MAGA crowd has already started this narrative that this is how elections are stolen. Uh, But it's not. You got to remember, most states don't start counting or can't count mail-in ballots until the day of the election. So with a lot of people choosing that option, it takes time to count those votes. And, And frankly, we want them to take their time and make sure that votes are certified properly so that when there are legal challenges, we don't have an issue. Um, the GOP didn't get the red wave they were claiming, uh, but if they claim the House and the Senate, then, you know, they could have accomplished their goal of obtaining power. But don't be despair. This is what midterms are like every time. It's just a change in, in the power hold. Um, you know, so a lot of what happened was very much expected. There were some surprising outcomes um, for me personally to see that six out of the six states where legalizing abortion was on the ballot, those pass. And I think it's a clear signal to anyone with half a brain that people don't want an abortion ban, at least not a complete ban. Um, We saw Kentucky even voted for this, but then they went and voted Rand Paul back into office, which I just do not understand. I don't understand. Um, Marijuana was legalized in Maryland and Missouri, of all places. Uh, Voters uh, voted overwhelmingly um, for the legalization of marijuana. Speaking of Maryland, Wes Moore won his race, becoming the state's first black governor and only the third black governor in the history of this country. His running mate, Aruna Miller, also made history. Um, She is the first immigrant to win 
the lieutenant governor's office, and uh, she's an immigrant from India. Um, and she's also the first Asian American elected statewide. So, so that was historic. Actually, in Maryland, I think they, they had a full blue wave. Um, Democratic Attorney General Maura Haley, Healy, I think you pronounce it, was elected governor of Massachusetts, making history as the nation's first openly lesbian governor. Um, I feel like the Northeast states usually try to get it right, though. Uh, John Fetterman beat out Dr. Oz. Uh, can we talk about how disappointing Dr. Oz is? I mean, I, I am of the Oprah generation, you know, the latchkey kid that came home and watched Oprah in the afternoons. And he went from being you know, this beloved doctor on, on Oprah to just a complete whack job. Um, I do think Oprah's endorsement got Fetterman over the finish line. You know, maybe Oprah should think about endorsing more candidates because when she does or when she did in the past, they, they usually win. But, you know, that's just the Oprah effect. And we love us some Oprah. Uh, but I think best of all, the the best news was the heat or the blame that Donald Trump is getting for the failure of most of his backed candidates. Not all, though. I mean, J.D. Vance did win in Ohio, but I, I want people to remember that that race was backed by a billionaire named Peter Thiel. Um, and in fact, when you look at sort of the money, we talked a little bit about the money in politics on a previous episode, but... The billionaire investment into our elections this go around was the biggest to date. Billionaires, millionaires pumping some 800 plus million into these midterm elections. And I was reading on, uh, I think it was the AP News, that it was 27 times the amount they contributed before the Citizens United decision. That's a decision that allows this dark money into our elections. And so, you know, I think going forward, we're going to see a lot more money in our elections. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking you've got 800 plus million dollars to to donate towards elections. Then why do we have underpaid teachers? Why do we have a homeless problem? Why are veterans suffering in this country? It makes me sick. It makes me sick to even think about it. Um, in Florida, you know, there was a red wave in Florida. DeSantis beat Charlie Chris by almost a 20-point lead. It wasn't surprising for anyone who's been paying attention. Um, it, it, I think the gap was surprising. You know, it almost had me questioning the election results. Like, okay, did we really have a fair election here? But I don't want to become one of these people. Um Florida voted back in Marco Rubio over Val Demings, uh, even though this man has proven over and over again that he will not do anything for the state of Florida. He openly co-sponsored an abortion ban. I mean, I just I, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I knew Val Demings would have a tough battle, um, you know, even with her being a former p police chief, even with her doing good work in Congress. Um, she's still a black woman and running in a, a very uh, red state. I mean, people say it was purple before, but if you live here like I do, you you, you know kind of what's been happening in the past, uh, you know, I would say four or five years. Um, obviously, the the gerrymandering and the redistricting that, that occurred uh, helped the GOP win the House and, and Senate seats. I think the, the GOP... 120 of the 28 House seats, you know, they picked up four new seats directly as a result of this redistricting. Uh, Florida even reelected Matt Gates, who's currently under investigation for sex trafficking of a minor. I mean, how and, and, and potentially under investigation for the January 6th insurrection. But hey, Florida, go ahead and reelect him again. I, I, I mean, it's just mind blowing to me. Ashley Moody won uh, the attorney general race over Aramis Ayala. I was really hoping for that race, um, but there was a big lead there. And, you know, I think Aramis would have been a perfect attorney general. I mean, if, if we could ever have one. And I don't know her, by the way. Um, we, we, we have mutual friends, but I don't know her personally. So I'm not saying that on a personal level. 
the Dems lost some some key races in Florida as well. The Commissioner of Agriculture, Commissioner of Financial Regulations. I mean, it was certainly a red wave in Florida. Uh, we, voter turnout was always an issue, although they were higher than previous midterm elections where we saw 21 and 27 percent of voter turnout. We did have, you know, I would say 47 to 54, at least here in South Florida. Miami-Dade had a 47 percent voter turnout, and uh, I believe the statistics are 70 percent of those voters voted for Ron DeSantis. And it's always interesting to see how Miami votes um, because of the political atmosphere um, down here with, you know, the different sects of, of Latino ver- of voters or Hispanic voters. Um, it's always interesting to see how the tide shifts. Today's guest is a friend and somewhat of a mentor, uh, Marlon Hill. We, we call him Mr. Mayor uh, here in Miami just because everyone who knows anyone knows Marlon. And, and he's just very involved in politics and, and getting people registered to vote and getting people engaged um, in the process. He is of Jamaican descent. Um, his wife, of course, is Trinidadian and a fellow carnival lover. So, you know, he gets extra points on me for, from me for, for having Carla as his wife. And I hope she's laughing as she hears this. Um, but Marlon's just been an advocate, uh, for the community, not only here in Miami and South Florida, but, you know, for the Caribbean community. And he has hosted a lot of events. Um, he continues to to engage people in the political process. Um, he started a phone bank this past election just to get people more engaged and talking to people. And so I really wanted to have him on the podcast uh, to give his thoughts on the election, what needs to be done, how we move forward, and how, and to give some advice on how to engage people in the process, because I think he is, like I said, very good at doing that and getting people excited about the process. So I hope you do enjoy the interview and, you know, let's not let the process stop here. If you know someone who didn't register to vote for this past election, we've got another year, two years, get them registered, help them. If you don't know how to do that, please reach out to me. I will do anything I can to to help anyone understand the process. And we should really not let this energy die down. So let's keep the motivation going because there is a lot more that needs to be done. I hope you enjoy this interview with Marlon. And as usual, please subscribe and share with your family and friends. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you? Madam Secretary, how are you? <laughs> you know, I still like to call you Mr. Mayor. That's that's what that's what all your friends refer to you as, right? You know, every every city and every family needs a mayor, you know? That's right. That's right. So how's it going? Hey, listen, you know, we're in recovery mode, but you know, we're still in the fight. And you know, politics is not for the weary. You know, I always say and no one should be afraid of politics. In fact, politics should be afraid of you. Uh, exactly. That's really the essence. And um, whether it's a midterm election, presidential election, or city election, or county election, or even a PTSA election, or a homeowners association election, you really should be paying attention to any institution that impacts what happens at your doorstep or your rooftop or your back door, you need to pay attention. So why don't you start off by telling people a little bit about yourself and how you got involved um, in politics and why? You know, I come from an immigrant family and I came here when I was 14. So I kind of grew up, you know, part of my life here in the United States. I did not, did not become a citizen actually until, until college. You know, um, all of us, we come here, different parts of our lives as, as, as immigrants. And then after you're a permanent resident, you become a U.S. citizen, so I really didn't get a sense of what was going on in the United States of America until I really got to college, where where I, I started to see what the dynamics are all about. You know, I know that we're all also both know, so you know what it's like um, going to school on a campus where you're one of one in ten thousand or one in five thousand, um, mm-hmm. and, and 
adjustment to that. And it's really a reflection and a slice of real life world um, in these United States. And you know that you know Florida State was where I really got you know my I brandished my organizing skills with the Black Union and yeah and um, the Caribbean Students Association and getting involved with the business schools. Um, and then when I went to law school was when I really started to kind of things really started to come into real focus on understanding the, the, the true historical underpinnings of how this country is actually um, wired. Um, law school really opened those doors. And then when I came back to, to Miami after law school, you know, my, my, my first job working with, with George Knox and Hank Adorno uh, at Adorno and Zita too, you know, George Knox was the first black city attorney and, That's right. and Hank to, to Janet Reno at the time. Um, and I, I got a, a window into both worlds of, of black Miami and Cuban Miami. I was fortunate enough to get an early um, taste of what that was really all about. You know, Hank represented Jorge Mascanosa and Cuban American National Foundation. You know, George was one of the founding um, presidents in the early days of the Wilkie D. Ferguson Black Lawyers Association at the time. So I was, I was fortunate enough as a young lawyer in my late 20s to really get my feet um, dipped into, into Miami-Dade County politics. And, and then from there, um, I started to get more involved on a number of civic issues. So that was really my entree into politics. And politics, you know, really is not just about elections. The politics is about your everyday engagement with life in the Correct. community that you live. That's really politics. Correct. You touched a little bit on the uh, Miami politics, right? Because we've got a big Cuban community. We've got a big Caribbean community. Um, we have a Black community that is, is typically underserved and underlooked. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. I know prior to the election, you uh, were very involved with trying to get a phone bank together for the Caribbean community. I was on that call. I did a few calls uh, for that phone bank. Why were you so focused on that community? Well, you know, Miami-Dade County, everyone always tries to lump Miami-Dade County into the, into the full demographic, demographic footprint of the United States of America. And that's like a huge mistake. Right, because Miami is so overlaid with um, persons from other parts of the country and other parts of the world, other languages, other cultures, other heritages, and um, Black people are not all the same. Asian people are not all the same. Um, Hispanic people are not all the same. And to be quite frankly, white people, as you make you you're thinking about it in the context of race. Um, anyone of a particular race is really not the same in Miami-Dade County. So if you grew up in Miami, maybe some parts of Broward County, um, you may understand what I mean by this. And, and this directly impacts our politics. And, and it's, it's mm -hmm. happening right before our eyes in terms of what's impacting our regional politics um, or state politics. And one of the reasons why it also impacts our national politics. But when you talk about 28, 29, 30 electoral votes, and the state continues to get larger and larger. And the, the larger the state gets, um, the more congressional representatives are required for mm -hmm. the electoral caucus. This is the reason why the state is so important. Um, it was once blue, and then it was purple, and then it was light pink, and now it's red. And to be quite honest with you, it could be any one of those colors in any particular year, depending on the actual mood or is events that happen in the state's history or in particular in Miami-Dade County. Right. So Miami-Dade in this election, this, let's talk about these midterms, 70% yeah. voted Republican, 70% of Miami-Dade County. I mean, Broward and, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of looking at Palm Beach County and Miami-Dade County, like what, what, what is happening? Um, I wasn't surprised. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers on that 70%, but just, just to kind of put it into context, um, Florida has um, registered voters of about 15 million, and, mm -hmm. and uh, Miami has 1.2, um, they're about, um, Broward County has about 1.1, um, and 
Palm Beach County has about 900,000. So South Florida in its, in its sense real um, accounts for about 30 plus percent of the total state voting population, right? And in Miami-Dade County, you have um, as many registered Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. Um, Broward County skews more um, to, to Democrats, um, but increasingly more Independents and Republicans, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so does Palm So it is clear, based on the current voter rules, that Democrats have lost the momentum on registering more Democrats. And then so the numbers of more registered Republicans and Independents is clearly, as you will see on the public record, if you ever want to find it, oh, this is not proprietary information. It's Correct. That you, can, you can find out um, just by a click of a Google button, right? So what is really happening is um, in, a, in a state that is a closed primary state, meaning that in primary, you can only vote based on your party affiliation. Independents don't have a say until the general election, right. right? Party affiliation is very important as it relates to turnout um, for candidates that are running for statewide office or um, offices that are related to your party affiliation, right? Um, so in Miami-Dade County, um, the, the, the GOP has been very, very diligent about expanding its voter rules and doing what's necessary from a messaging or a cultural messaging standpoint to pull more folks under their tent, right? And the bottom line is that politics at the end of the day real, really just boils down to who's better connecting to, mobilizing, organizing their people, and then at the end of the day, getting them to react to that connection, react to that mobilization, to act on election day, either by voting early, by voting by mail, or on election day. And the honest truth, straight up, you got to give them kudos that the GOP did a better job of those simple acts across the state, and in particular in, in, in counties where they have um, larger pools of voters to get them out. And that's what that's happened. Right. If you look across the board in the election results, um, Republican um, candidates benefited from 5 to 10% more votes than Democrats. Right. And we don't know how independents voted, but clearly um, Democrats did not get the majority of independent voters in the state of Florida, because if they did, the, the margins would have been much closer. So that's, that's exactly what happened. It's, there is no excusing it. There is no um, trying to pull hairs about it. Um, that's the bottom line, but every election is a fight. Every election cycle is a fight. Um, and you have another round to fight unless you want to consider yourself dead. And I'm not personally right. <laughs> someone who ascribes to, to be um, supportive of um, the Democratic Party and the, the issues and yes, uh, aspire to. Um, I am, I'm, not, I'm not out of the fight. Um, mm -hmm. So we're in Florida, we may be looking at the fence outside watching the Democrats nationally celebrate but I don't think there's anything to celebrate, quite honestly. Um, right. The only thing to celebrate is that the election is over and we can go and celebrate each other for Thanksgiving um, and then figure out what you want to do next. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about the messaging and, and the, the narrative, because like you said, the GOP did a really good job in Florida. And part of my angst is it seems as though I'm a registered Democrat because I want to vote in the primaries. That's really the reason, because I probably used to consider myself an independent, um, but you know that that's now changed in the past five years. Um, but the the Democrats to me seem to have just given up on the state, and you know you really saw. I mean, you and I have talked offline about DeSantis, and I mean he really did a good job of getting his message there, getting new voters registered. I mean, the redistricting and gerrymandering that happened, of course, um, helped him. Uh, but, you know, when I look at the percentages of people who turned out to vote uh, in the midterms election, so I think Miami-Dade was 47%, uh, Broward was about 48 Palm Beach was a little bit better at 54%. That's just the counties in South Florida. 
But 47% of Miami-Dade voters, and I and I did look earlier this morning, it was about 70% voted for the GOP of that 47%. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, granted, midterm turnouts are always less than general elections. We know that. Um, but what was surprising to me is even with the migrant scandal of, of sending those migrants to, to Martha's Vineyard, even with the abortion issue on the line, but that could go either way in, in Miami-Dade County, we know that. Um, and you know, just Mr. DeSantis banning books and, and all of that great stuff, it's still translated into votes for him. And I am amazed at how he's able to, tr- to, to spin that to his favor. You and I have talked about that he is more savvy and smarter than Donald Trump. And that's why he's, he's, he's actually scarier to me. Well, listen, you know, um, you know, politics is, is really all about trying to, whether you are running for elected office or you're involved in politics in any level, as a voter, as an activist, as someone in a nonprofit, it really all is all, of, it's all about having clarity and authenticity as to what you really care about. Mm-hmm. And to be unwavering about what you're clear on, what you're authentic in terms of what you care about for your family, for your circle of friends, for your whatever you consider your community to be, whatever the affiliation is. And and to and to go forward with that in a way that is just unwavering. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and then whatever results happen. The results happen. And so when you say the Democrats lost their way, it's really all about leadership and leadership um, at every level, at the federal level, at the DNC level, at the state level, um, at the local level. And to be quite honest, we're not off the hook as individuals mm-hmm. because we are part of the same ecosystem, right? So we can't just say, well, the party, right? who is the party? Is the party those that you elected to be leading the party, or is the party you? Right? One of the things I learned very early on when, when I decided to really get involved in politics in a way that, that I cared about, um, especially in the pre, um, pre-Obama years, um, the mid-2000s, and even when I started my radio station um, segment after the Kerry campaign, I, I, I learned very early on that you have to ensure that the people that you know are educated enough and informed enough to make decisions for themselves. And, and if you create an environment where they are educated, um, informed, right. and also inspired and having fun, they organize. And, and, and that's, what I, I, that's what I did in terms of my role in the ecosystem in the pre-Obama years. And that's why I think you need our OFA infrastructure back. You need to get back to basics. Like going into the living rooms and the community centers and meeting people where they're at to organize around the things that we care about and then build out from that. And I mm-hmm. think we have lost hope on that. And we need to press refresh if we are going to get anywhere um, close to impacting things on the local level and the national level. Um, necessarily of um, pointing fingers over a long period of time. Um, I'm not going to point fingers unless I'm going to take some responsibility at the same time. So I want to put that out there right. that you can, you can ring your fingers all you want on Twitter and, and with the remote control and in the DMs and in mm-hmm. your WhatsApp message and take that all in as much as you want. Only going to create stress for you. Right. Um, but you need to take, take a step back, take a, take a breath and figure out what lane do you want to fight in? What talents and resources do you have? Who do you want to give it to? And then go from there. Um, and certainly the Democratic Party, if you want to call it um, an institution that's part of the ecosystem, has to take a step back, like any other company or nonprofit organization would have to do when you go through a slump, right? It's, it's either you care about your mission or you don't. Right. Well, one of the things we saw in this election was the appearance of Gen Z, right? Those 18 to 25, 30 um, year old voters. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Gen Z saved 
the election from being a complete red wave. Um, we saw in, in the Orlando area, um, Maxwell Frost being elected uh, to Congress. And I think that kind of goes in line with what you're saying. We have to go into our communities. And I will tell you, I've been very, very impressed with these kids, uh, the March for Lives kids who have gone out there and just campaigned and they are not resting easy at all. Um, I would like to and see- And they don't care. And they don't care about institutions, right? Correct. Here's the thing, Rio. You have to remember that our community, our country, our state, happens in cycles and generations, right? If you go back to the civil rights movement, those were Gen Zers. Right. Okay. You know, Martin right. Luther King was 30s, Andrew Young, Jesse Jackson, these are young guys. Um, when you go down to the pre-civil rights era, you know, Harry Belafonte, um, Sidney Poitier, these are young actors that are, so that's, this is not new, right? right? What is happening right now that I think is very interesting is that Gen Zers, as you want to call them, whatever the title is. It doesn't I just matter. learned what they, they were, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, listen, it's, they are coming into their own, yep. right? And before they're 18, before you know it, they're going to be 30. And before you know it, they're going to be our age in our 40s and, and 30s, right? So it's, we, at, at one time, we were Gen Zers. And we were trying to find our way. But history has a way of inserting you, inserting you into what your role is. Right. Without George Floyd, you wouldn't have some of the marches. Without the right. shooting at Parkland, you have certain. So you never know what the next spark is going to be. Right. That spark back then, before the Civil Rights Act, was you know asking for certain um, voting rights and and um, schools and accommodations. Right. There is going to be another spark or spark. Mm -hmm. Right. And just watch out. And it has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to support. Democratic Party, Republican Party, Independent, they're going to support who they believe, those behind the spark, are supportive of them, right? And right. leadership is going to rise up. And what you're seeing right now in, in terms of the, the national results is a pushback. You're saying, well, wait a second. Do we want to give power back to a Trump-controlled party? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about that. And some people are tentative. And then you also hear... Some folks who are saying, well, listen, we care about climate change. We care about um, violence and, and, and issues related to guns. And, and we care about reducing the cost of college and, and, and student loan relief. And so they are, like I said, connecting, mobilizing around authentic issues and values that they care about, right? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to increase. Right? And they're going to get more involved. So when you're 16 and you pre-register for to be registered and you become 18 and you go to college, you, you gather around friends and your friends are your circle. And not all the same that look like you. Mm -hmm. Young people, these they have a diverse group of friends. They're saying, well, I'm white, but I care about my friend who is black and who is afraid of being pulled over by the police. Or I love my friend who is um, trying to make a choice on her pronouns, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so these are things that are changing in American society that are not in these neat little bubbles. Um, and you're going to see that more as you approach this election coming up in 2024 and, quite frankly, um, beyond. Um, and that's where I think those of us who um, lean center left or left um, in the Democratic Party, we need to be focused more on the long term planting the seeds and getting back to this. I agree. I agree. So what do you think we should be looking forward to doing in the next two years as we prepare for that 2024 election? First and foremost, um, you should be renewing your vote by mail request um, if you want to choose that, that option. Um, you should be walking in your glove compartment um, copies of voter registration forms right, for friends who are permanent residents that just became U.S. citizens or friends who just moved here or anyone who changed their address. Um, you should be speaking to your people in your circle and your organizations about um, getting people registered. Um, and then pay attention to the elections locally that may be happening um, over the next two years. 
um, pay attention to what's happening in your city, what's happening in your county, your school board, your PTSA, your homeowners association, uh, being engaged on those on those levels. Um, because presidential cycle is going to have is going to start probably in the next couple months or or early next year, um, and to figure out how you want to be involved. And if you if you think that the Democratic Party, as it um, reconstructs its next chapter, um, and and this this is not uh, um, an indication of the Democratic Party all across the country. You're quite honest. It's, mm-hmm. it's in different states, different communities, right? So, but it's still a national institution that needs that needs to be operating uh, on all cylinders everywhere, and needs to be critical of where it needs to be reconstructed. And how you fit into that picture is what. If you are going to get more involved on that level, then you need to kind of start figuring that out. Because when I was involved um, with the Democratic Party, and I, I was honored enough to be an elector to, to sign that form, electing President Obama as, as the um, as president in 2008. You know, that came from me being a part of raising money, being a part of organizing different groups, being a part of writing policy and reviewing policy and the things that I'm an expert at. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many different ways that you can lend your talent if you really want to step up and, and be engaged. Unfortunately, I think that most of us are are audience members right. of this movie. You know, we're with the popcorn and we're saying, "Oh, you know, is he going to get killed? Is he going to get killed?" And you're whispering to your person in the movie theater, right? Right, right. Like that? No, you you need to decide. You know, are you going to be in the the next episode of this Netflix um, uh, series? Mm-hmm. Right, and in audition, you need to step up in the game. And well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. One of the things I think you're really great at is you're able to talk to the man on the street. You know, who may be catching a bus, as well as 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 well as the judge who you know has Secret Service um, uh, protection, right? Like, I mean, you you yeah. have that ability. What is uh, what what sort of advice would you give someone who? you know, wants to talk to their friends and families. And listen, we're in the Caribbean community, you know, sometimes yeah. you're dealing with very conservative views, right? Um, it, they tend to be conservative. And I think a lot of people discount that. But what advice would you give to, you know, someone in their 20s or 30s who want to have those conversations, but are, are a little bit hesitant because of the pushback they're going to get? And some of the pushback I'll tell you I hear is, I don't want to get into politics. Nothing's going to change. Um, you know, they're all the same. They're all corrupt. It it doesn't matter who you vote for. Things are never going to be better for us. I mean, that's a lot yeah. of what we hear. Yeah, and you're going to continue to hear that because people are are um, skeptical. They they have trepidations. They, they there is a lot of apathy. Here's my advice. You know, I would just say, listen, um, you got to be very authentic about how you engage with your friends and. Even the friends that you disagree with, mm-hmm. right? you gotta be remain open. Um, you can't be too judgmental unless you have to push back at a specific time. You gotta leave space, what I call gracious space, to to have disagreements or to share information. Right? So one of the things that you you um you can do that when you invite someone into your home, into your living room, it's hard for them to really come hard at you or to disrespect you or even to shame you, right? Mm-hmm. So invite into your home to have a real honest conversation about what's happening in your community or around a specific issue, around some food and music um, is, is a great start. Right. Start with, start with 12, your book club, um, the people that you play cards with and you say, hey guys, you know, I know that we play Kaluki um, every month and I wanted to kind of talk, talk to you about something that that's really bothering me or, 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 or even worse, hurting me. I, I feel really mm-hmm. bad about it. And I read your feedback. Um, I, I value your feedback because I'm going to get more involved with this issue. And I, and I would love to hear your perspective. I would love to hear if you were willing to get involved. Um, but I value your opinion, right? Um, and if, if someone does not want to give that opinion or perspective, then keep signing. You know, it's not your, it's not, 
um, the trigger for you to release them as a part of your circle is that at least you know where you stand, right? So you really got to leave space because what happens in social media, we're wearing, we're wearing blinders and shades. We're not really being authentic right. in our interest. You got to pull up. You know, one of the things that the pandemic and, and social media has, has, has done is it has created a veil of disconnectivity. And, and we have to get back to basics of connecting with each other in a very authentic, personal way. And I would suggest starting with small groups. Um, it could be your community on your block. Um, it may not necessarily even start with politics. It may just start with, listen, I just wanted to, to um, unlike the Caribbean where you know all your neighbors in your community, here in the United States, that's not the culture, unfortunately, in my opinion, with mm -hmm. my experience. So you kind of have to really go over the fence mm -hmm. and people in really um, connecting with them in a way that um, is meaningful and, and, and connected. That's, that's best advice. Um, the other piece of advice I would give is that you really have to start going out to your school board meetings, um, your city hall meetings, your county hall meetings. And even if you don't speak up, if you don't have the time, you watch them online. But if you, really, if you can really go down in person and sit in the first, second, or the third row and wait till the meeting is over and also speak to the staff and the elected officials, you can really, really understand the decisions that are being made. Mm -hmm. um, because I must tell you, Ria, um, most people don't understand that in government, whether it's being a president, a governor, a mayor, or these institutions pass laws and they pass a budget. These are the two main things, guys, that you've got to right. So are they going to pass a law that's going to negatively impact you? Or are they going to pass a budget that is connected to values or things that will negatively impact you or doesn't benefit you in any way, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the two main things. And if you are not voting, the 53% of people who did not vote basically gave their power to the 47, 47. people who did right. to pass laws and to pass the budget. Right, right. What do you think, why do you think those 53% are really not going to vote though? Some people didn't vote because one, they weren't informed and just don't want to go and vote and look like they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they've said, I don't know who I'm voting for. I just don't go. Some people are just frustrated, disconnected, worn out. Um, you know, they really believe that it doesn't really matter. Right. And some people don't vote as a protest. Like, I don't like what's going on generally. So I'm not even going to put my things on the scale. Um, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. There are different motivations. And you really can't blame people, per se. Um, and, and what I try to do, as you see daily, is through the radio, email, social media, and phone calls, I try to take care of my people as best as I can, make sure that they, they, they know that they have me as a resource, that they can feel informed. And or they can even call me. I get, you know, when people call me and just vent and cuss and they, why are they doing this? And, blah, blah, blah. and then I try to put it in the context and say, you know, you know, have you considered this or have you looked into this? And slowly but surely, the, the disgruntled become a little calmer and a little bit more amenable to, to being informed. And then the, as they become a little bit more calmer, they become a little bit more engaged. And sooner or later, they say, okay. The light goes off and they go, ah, I see. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see the result of my action or my actions, right? I, and, and we have to continue to do that in a very meaningful way, especially in a community that's transient, both in people moving into the state from the north and also from the south. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things you're really great at is, is connecting and engaging people. Um, let me give you your flowers because you were one of the reasons I started this podcast. I don't know if you remember, maybe three years ago, you know, you called me back after an event, you were at an event uh, on, uh, until like 9.30, you called me back because I was just frustrated with what was going on. I, I do employment discrimination law. And so I'm really just 
wanting to get the word out there on how hard these cases are and how meant, you know, how the laws need to change. And one of the things you told me was you need to start blogging. You need to start speaking up. And, you know, time went by lives get busy. And of course, I'm one of the people who are ranting and raving on social media about, you know, what's going on with our government. And so when I really sat down to think about doing this podcast, your words came to mind. So I wanted to say thank you to you for that. No, no, you're, you're most welcome, and and you're. You know, I'm so happy and glad that you've taken this leap to to really um, share your authentic voice. And I think you have a lot to share in terms of your own personal experience. And I think that you're going to be an example to others, right? This is all that I'm saying. Take a look at what you care about, what you're frustrated about. Right. Take a look at what for a living or what you think you want to learn. Take the tools that you have and and do something. Right? And if you don't know how, then reach out to other people um, as to how and leverage your voice, magnify your voice. I really believe in my gut of the power um, of, of one person to really move the needle on something. Right? Even if there is 10,000 people pushing back on the other side. Mm-hmm. You really got to stand in the gap like a David against a Goliath um, and be firm as to why, not what, why you believe um, your argument or your proposal or your perspective makes sense for the greater good, right? It, it can't just be why your value or why your opinion or why your perspective makes sense just for you. Right. How is it benefiting the greater good of the world beyond yourself? And, and you gotta stick with that as far as messaging is concerned. Um, memo to Democrats, right? Stand in the gap of, of why it's important. Explain how it's going to benefit as many people as possible in, in, irrespective of party affiliation. Drive that home with investment of resources, time, um, and engagement, and get in the fight. That's really the bottom line at the end of the day. And one of the reasons why you know, Biden needs to step up his game as well in really promoting more about what he has accomplished. Because more people point the finger to his personality or his age or his style rather than focusing on the laws or the budget or the executive orders or the things that he's doing, not just for himself, right. but for the broad society in the nation. And, and, and I, would, I would venture to say that we can put ideas up against ideas and have a debate or discussion as to how... Um, why this party's perspective or this candidate's perspective is good. And mm-hmm. whether you're a candidate, you're speaking from a party's perspective, let's just speak about ideas, right? Right. If a woman does not have um, the freedom to, to, to choose her own reproductive freedom, with exceptions, these really ex- extraordinary exceptions, what are we really saying to the broader society right. when that happens? Is it, is it, are we just so um, linear in our um, religious position where they, we're going to compromise a woman's reproductive freedom, even under those extraordinary circumstances, and then criminalize the persons that are helping her to exercise her freedom? I mean, if that really just makes sense, and if you told the broader American society, they're going to come out on like, mm, it doesn't really make sense for everybody. So. And you see it happening in states. Right, um, so right. Six, six of the states where it was on the ballot. I mean, people people came out and voted on that issue. And we saw it. There you go. And that's just one of the many issues where right. you, you have to really be you know, very focused on the why and how it benefits the broader society. And just go door to door, living room to living room, make your case. Um, Obama did this in terms of what he cared about back in the day and as he said we connected mobilized and then acted on that connection and mobilization and, and when we get back to that you're going to see the, the coloring board of the counties that you see on the state you're going to see the shades start to shift back and forth let's hope so let's hope so great advice um, I'm going to put you on the spot are we going to see another Marlon Hill campaign anytime soon not anytime soon. I'd be very straight about it. It really takes a lot of work. Um, it does. Yeah, I'm not 
I'm really not focused or have my eyes on anything, to be honest. I really feel very comfortable in this space of organizing and educating. Um, and, I, and I don't think that you have to be in elected office to do that. Um, I agree. I learned about myself um, running um, for the county commission, and I feel that there are, there are other people. If you're going to do it, you've got to make sure that you have all things in order with your, your job and your finances and family's health. And there are a lot of factors that go into right. um, ensuring that you're fully successful. Um, and if you don't have that holistic um, support or, or issues in order, you, you need to stand down, um, even though you know that you will be probably um, good in that position. But it's, I've learned that it's not just about the position. Um, mm -hmm. As for me, it's never really about the position. It was really about the stepping up into leadership, but not anytime soon. But you can definitely count me in on um, grassroots organizing, making it fun, making it educational, being in the media, being on social media, pointing out things to people to kind of um, be a source. Um, and I think I feel very good about that role um, right now. Okay. Okay. I won't pressure you then. Um, listen, tell people how to find you if they want, because you do a lot of lives on Instagram and you have your radio show and all that. So, so tell people how to find you. Yeah, pretty Googleable. I mean, at Marlon Hill on Instagram, I'm, I'm LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter at Marlon A. Hill. Um, I typically also have um, three consultations as a business lawyer for persons that are starting and building a company uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, 8 to 9 p.m. Um, they can just send me a note and, and we'll schedule um, a consultation. But that's, that's what I do for a living. And that's my sweet spot. And my passion is working with entrepreneurs and nonprofit organizations to help them build um, successful companies and organizations and help them also to navigate governmental landscape um, as well. Um, so they can reach me there. and also connect to me at my law firm, Weiss Rhoda, um, and can also see me in the DMs. <laughs> All right, Marlon Hill, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I know how busy you are, so I, you know, I appreciate you. Um, and you know, hopefully, I've been listening to go ahead. I've been listening to chatter, and I, I must tell you that um, that that this this has the the, the thick things of. Of, of going national and I just want you to continue to to step into the gap of your voice and it's actually more than chit chatter this is this is some real meaningful um living room conversations that i think a lot of people are going to benefit benefit from and thank you for listening to your voice well i appreciate you and and like i said you were part of this decision so so I, I more than appreciate you for saying that. And from your lips to God's ears, we'll, 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 keep, we'll keep posted. I look forward to uh, having you on again um, as we go into the next election cycle. Um, I'd always love to hear your, your voice and your thoughts and, and what more we could be doing. Stay in the fight and stay engaged. And I look forward to being a recurring visitor to Chicken Chat. <laughs> All right, Marlon, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. You can also follow the podcast on our social media pages.